God's grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, be with us today. Give us hearts to hear and to take in what you have to tell us through your word. Sometimes it's hard to understand, Lord. The images are bizarre, strange, but we trust that you're showing us your glory and a glory that we will see face to face someday in the near future. In your name we pray. Amen. Some days I make it hard for myself. I could have gone the easy route this Sunday and preached on the gospel reading. Lazarus, right? We've heard it many, many times. Lazarus who's resurrected from the tomb and, you know, a foreshadowing of your resurrection and mine. Also, Jesus weeps at death. He doesn't like it and so forth, right? Could have gone that way. Or I could have taken this reading from the, uh, Paul, the epistle, the great reading that we, we Lutherans take to heart of the God's righteousness imparted to us. It's not our righteousness before God. It's His given to us and all that. Yeah, I could have done that one again for the umpteenth time. Or the reading from Ezekiel today was supposed to be the dry bones. You know that reading? The skeletons that come together and the flesh gets... It reminds me of those old Sinbad movies. Remember those? The Ray Harryhausen and special effects, the stop-motion effects where the, the skeletons would assemble, rise, and with swords, and then the, these skeletons would fight Sinbad and his crew. That's what that re- reading reminds me of every time we do that in church. But I decided not to... Oh, and that one's about resurrection as well, right? God creating life from death in the valley of death. Could have done that one again, but no. I chose to talk about another bizarre scene from Ezekiel. The more I investigated this book, the more I discovered that we don't hear from it that often. And when we do, it's only the dry bones part and a few other short texts later on in the book, but not the beginning of it. We don't hear about the wheel. <laughs> Have you ever heard anyone, anyone here read that reading before in all the years you've been coming here? I never have. I've never heard it. It's not in the lectionary. So I chose to talk about that. So this may be a total dud sermon. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I dug into this reading and it's pretty interesting. Ezekiel saw the wheel. Woody Guthrie wrote a song about that. Johnny Cash sung it. So did Louis Armstrong. It's a song about bootleggers and hypocrites. But the chorus goes, Ezekiel saw the wheel. I'm not going to try and sing it. Maybe you know the tune. But it goes, Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel whirling way up in the middle of the air. Now the little wheel runs by faith and the big wheel runs by the grace of God. I don't know how he knows that. <laughs> and a wheel in a wheel whirling way up in the middle of the air. <laughs> Song sounds just as strange as the text itself. I don't know. There was also a short-lived television series called Project UFO that mentions this wheel. It was based on actual UFO reports that the Earth that the Air Force investigated for almost 20 years. I loved that show as a 13-year-old. I mean, it was just, it was, it was made for kids, you know. Grown-ups couldn't take it seriously because the special effects were so bad and the acting was terrible. But 
The opening of each episode showed an illustration of this wheel from Ezekiel. And Jack Webb's voice would, you know, remember Jack Webb from Dragnet? Well, he produced the show. His voice came over the TV and says, Ezekiel saw the wheel. These are unidentified flying objects that people say they are seeing now. Are they proof that we are being visited by civilizations from another race? Or just what are they? Well, I wish I knew, Jack, don't you? <laughs> it's a safe bet, I think, to say that UFOs are not the wheel that Ezekiel saw in his vision. And I don't know about you, but I would think if there were any spacecraft visiting us from another world, it wouldn't have eyeballs all over it, don't you think? I mean, come on, this is the kind of stuff that God wants people to see when he gives them visions. John saw something similar in his vision, except all the eyeballs were on an animal. As bizarre as Ezekiel chapter 1 is, and like, you know, what do you do with it? I want to at least address two questions. One, what did this vision mean to the Jews who heard it at the time? And what does it mean to us Christians today? I will attempt to address those questions. <laughs> now, those might not be the questions you had on your mind when you heard this reading, but whatever those are, uh, give them to me, and I'll try to answer them. But I think I'm asking the first question several hours too early because uh, Yoel Ben-David is on his way here right now, and I want to ask him what it means to the Jews, what this vision means. I don't have any Jewish uh, commentaries on the Old Testament, so I, I have to work with the Christian view of this text. Nevertheless, whether you're, whether you're Jew or Gentile, there's some basic things to know first which sets this opening scene up. First, just who is this Ezekiel anyways? Well, he was an Israelite priest, and he was the son of an Israelite priest. That's about all we know. When did he live? Well, around the years 600 B.C. to 575 B.C. or so. Uh, Ezekiel lives during the Babylonian captivity. So he's in exile in Babylon when God comes to him in a vision and he begins writing his scroll. Israel has already been punished once by God, 200 years earlier, by the Assyrians. And they're being punished again, having been taken to Babylon. Jerusalem is destroyed. It sits in ruins hundreds of miles away from the Jews. And Ezekiel will talk about that in retrospect later. It's interesting to note that while Ezekiel was a priest in Jerusalem, before the exile, he isn't a priest in Babylon, it seems. God calls him to a new vocation a prophet. And you know, prophets weren't always listened to by their people, especially by upper-class citizens and well-to-dos who were more content with their lives and the status quo. They didn't like hearing oracles and prophecies against them or the people because it upset their routine in life. Even in 70 years of captivity in Babylon, it wasn't like it was in Egypt. In Babylon, the Jews were allowed plots of land, and they were allowed to live in homes, and they were allowed to have jobs. 
So they fit in well with Persian society, and after a generation or two, some families were settled in quite nicely and didn't want to return to Israel. At any rate, this inaugural vision meant to the Jewish hearer of this scroll the judgment from God that had been laid upon Jerusalem and the people. Whenever you hear about visions like in Daniel and, and uh, Isaiah, you know, whenever there's like chariots and warriors and fire and swords and stuff, that all has to do, that all brings to the Jewish mind the judgment of God upon Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. God had separated himself from the people and the capital city on account of their disobedience and that's basically the gist of this opening vision. Now, from a Christian view, that meaning of judgment against Israel remains. It's still there. But more has been revealed in the person and Godhead of Jesus Christ. Creatures with wings and multiple faces and spinning wheels with, with eyes on them. God shows us that he is beyond the creation beyond the prophets like Ezekiel and us. Our assumption of things is based on what we see here on earth. God is he's not limited to what he has created here on this earth. When he wants you to see something, it can be something beyond what you see here on this planet, on this world. So that's what goes on in these visions. God is beyond the creation. He can conjure up things in, in his mind and in your sight, things that are way out of this world. And he is beyond the prophet Ezekiel. So Ezekiel has a limited mind as a human. God is beyond him and us. And these strange images are the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord without actually seeing and describing God. Yet at the same time, God is seen in the man Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And the fact that God would judge Israel and Jerusalem for her sins would not frustrate his purpose in keeping them as his chosen people and then grafting in all the nations of the world into his family. God would show mercy to a remnant. These Jewish people would survive captivity and they would one day return, a few of them would return to Jerusalem and rebuild it and restore restoration in their land. God would give his people a new heart and a new spirit. God, who had abandoned his temple in Jerusalem, would return to it in glory again. For a time, anyways. Because then would come the Roman Empire, who wouldn't take the Jews into captivity, but would rule over them where they lived. Israel would, again, become distracted, off the rails, ultra-legalistic in its efforts to obey and please God and run afoul with God when he came to earth as one of us. But in Jesus, God rules over the affairs and destiny not only of Israel, but also of all other nations. He died in Jerusalem for all people, for you, for me, but he's not tied to one small room in the back of the temple anymore. He lives in his people now. We are temples for His Spirit. God lives in us. The early Christians would see in Ezekiel's vision 
and the entire prophecy for that matter, the same reasons that led to the destruction of Jerusalem in their own time, in the year 70 A.D., when the Romans destroyed it, the church would view itself as the inheritor of the promise of restoration. So early Christians would read Ezekiel, and that's what would come to their mind. Destruction, judgment, restoration. And that's what, you know, that's where we remain today. We are being restored every day in our baptism and in the Spirit. And we await the final restoration when Jesus comes to make us and everything here new again. A new Jerusalem awaits us. Now, I haven't even scratched the surface of this prophet and his book. To go further would mean a sermon on Ezekiel every Sunday for a year. Are you ready for that? You know, some pastors have done it. More power to them, I say. I think many people would look for a different church if their pastor did something like that. Oh, Ezekiel again? (laughs) It would be challenging to hear it every Sunday, let alone preach it for a year. It It would be like being in captivity in Babylon. But what a journey it would be, huh? You might try and read the book yourselves from start to finish. Perhaps I'll read it in its entirety at our next youth beach trip. You think you could handle that? Listening to Ezekiel from start to finish takes about three hours <laughs> to hear. Judgment and destruction for sin, restoration on account of God's mercy, love, and compassion for his people. That's what it was all about then, and that's what it's all about today. May God keep you in his restoring grace. Amen.